Hey everyone, welcome to the Intelligent Conversations podcast where we believe everyone has a form of intelligence that resides within them. Our goal is to encourage these types of conversations for our audience to listen to. Without further ado, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, this is your host Josh Baker with the Intelligent Conversations podcast. Today I have the honor to speak with Mark Willis. He is a certified financial planner and host of the podcast, Not Your Average Financial Podcast. He's the owner and president of Lake Growth Financial Services and loves working with people who want to grow their wealth in ways that are safe and predictable. So thanks for coming on, Mark. I look forward to learning more about you, but I'm gonna start with asking you to introduce yourself and give some background to the audience, what it is you do and how you got to where you are today. Sure, Josh, thank you for having me on. It's a privilege. Um, you know, folks, I guess, need to know first that I wasn't born with a CFP to my name, that's for sure. I didn't know much about money at all. In fact, my wife and I, we graduated from college with massive amounts of debt hanging around our necks. And we didn't care. You know, we, we graduated and, and we graduated in 2008 when it was a great time to be looking for work. And, you know, I'm saying that facetiously, right? And the markets were tumbling and crashing. I remember when we first moved to Chicago, where we live today, um, we we noticed all the wonderful construction and projects happening downtown on the skyline of the beautiful skyline of Chicago. Um, and then six months later was the fall of 2008 when the world kind of went through a, a little speed bump. Uh, and I, I was looking at my photos a little later in the year and I, I was like, what's different about the 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 photos from you know springtime 2008 and then again in winter 2008 and it dawned on me that the skyline had changed dramatically because there was no more cranes or construction projects or scaffolding around all the major buildings downtown it had gone ghost town right and so for my wife and I to be joining the labor force or trying to join the labor force amidst all that with you know six figures of student loan debt hanging around our neck, it was sort of like an albatross um, uh, just weighing us down with uh, really no plan to pay it all off. Quite honestly, Josh, that was, we, we didn't really have a game plan. And that was the worst part because we felt like it was a, a, a sentence that would last the rest of our life, that we would be slaves to Sally Mae and Nelnet and her cronies and the rest. And we didn't know what to do next. We, di- we really didn't have a plan. That, that, that's a great introduction uh, for everyone that is listening, uh, everyone that's Mark Willis, as you can tell, great story. And a little bit on 2008. So I was born in 2002. So I don't really remember much of actually what happened there. And obviously, you have an extensive background of 2008 and like what happened there and the financial crash, crash that occurred there. Do you think you could give a little more background of kind of what the events that unfolded and uh, to people that you know may not know actually what happened that day. Yeah, yeah, it was a a wild and turbulent time. And what's so interesting is many people are now growing up with a life in a world where markets only ever go in one direction, and we sort of have a short memory not just um, not just in the market, but in finance in general. Uh, we we tend to forget. Uh, why things happen, and that winter comes every year. In fact, there's a um, little study done where, and I'll get to your question in just a second, but 
the but but according to the research over the last hundred years, the stock market will lose fourteen percent of its value every year, at least temporarily. We'll lose fourteen percent of our money, and then every three to five years, we'll lose thirty-four percent of our money, at least temporarily. Now, that that sounds like no big deal. Okay, I'll I'll get it back, right? But hang tight with us because there's going to be some stuff I might get back to at some point where we talk about the problem of volatility. When you lose money, you don't just get it back. Okay, so back to your question. Uh, there was a lot of things that that contributed to the the run up and the subsequent collapse in 2008. I would actually say that it had more to do with what happened in the 90s than what happened in 2008. So bubbles don't just pop out of thin air. Uh, they grow slowly over time until all at once somebody decides that home over there isn't really worth what we all are saying it was worth. So there's a lot of reasons that could could be contributing to the amazing collapse that happened, the bankruptcy of Lehman Brothers and the bailouts of major investment firms. Uh, but the bottom line is it really came from very low interest rates that were offered to lenders after the dot-com bust in 2001 and two, right when you were born, right? So you might not remember pets.com and Enron, but you've probably heard of those guys. And yeah. that was a major bubble. And that was because of low interest rates that flooded the market in 1990s, okay? So low interest rates, that's the interesting canard here. That's the real villain in this story. And everyone loves low interest rates when we're trying to buy a house, you know, 3% mortgage, whatever. But think about what is an interest rate? What is an interest rate? It's the signal that we're giving to the market. If you're a business owner, I know that's part of your goal. At, and I, I love that you've jumped right out of school and right into business. I think that's awesome, Josh. Uh, so my thought is, all right, the, the interest rate is a communication tool between you and your future. Do you believe, let's say you could get a, an, a, an investment, you could get a line of credit for 4% at the bank. So they're willing to give you money. And for the privilege of them giving you their money, they're going to require that you pay them all of it back plus 4%. That's kind of the regular way to go, right? So your mind is thinking, can I do better than 4% in my business or my real estate deal or my student loan degree, student degree? So that's the, the regular conversation that, business owners have with the overall uh, banking environment. Now, when um, major financial institutions like the Federal Reserve push, push, push down that interest rate, when they, some people will use the word manipulate that interest rate to lower it down to 2% from four down to two, now you're thinking, hey, you know, not only can I start a business doing, uh, you know, legitimate services, uh, but I'm going to also go ahead and speculate on this crazy, like new wild hair idea that I have. And I'm going to go get that house over there that, you know, is in a flood zone because who cares? It's 2%. 2% money is not that expensive. So I can take more risk and put my money into weirder and wilder and more exotic investments. And so what happens, right? We start buying houses that we can't afford and we start, you know, doing things with our money that we otherwise wouldn't do. Uh, banks started going so crazy that they called them ninja loans. They would give money to people who had 
no job, no income, no assets. That's called a ninja loan. No job, loan, uh, income, and assets. Ninja, get it? Yeah. So they would start giving money away to just anybody who would ask for it. And eventually that came tumbling down, of course. <laughs> so that's where 2008 started, was really in the 90s. That's my opinion. Uh, but of course, did anything change? You know, no. We still today have very low, record low interest rates. So some people say, I'm not a truth, I don't have a crystal ball or anything. I'm not a soothsayer. But some people say we're building up a bubble once again. Maybe not in real estate, but maybe everything is in a bubble now due to such low interest rates. So that's kind of the the doom and gloom. I promise there's some awesome strategies and concepts here that we can talk about to actually thrive in these times. But that's sort of, you know, I guess where I got my financial, I, you know, when I got into the financial business, it felt like I was being dropped into the front lines of a war uh, because I, I was hearing my CPA that I worked for at the time. She was saying, I'm sorry, Mr. Client. I'm sorry, Ms. Client. I know you're 62 years old, but I just lost you half your life savings and you can't retire. I mean, whoa, what a conversation to have, you know? Because um, I believe money is energy and life, really, you trade your life for money sometimes with your day job and whatever. So if you lose half your life savings, what's that? That's like 25 years of your life just gone. So anyway, I, I resolved in those moments to say, all right, we've got to find better ways to build a future that's not you know dependent on such tomfoolery on Wall Street. Yeah, thank you for giving uh, the like background to that. It was very helpful. I think a lot of people that listen to my podcast will now understand kind of what happened there because I feel like there's a lot of gray area of kind of what really happened there. And I feel like maybe ultimately greed kind of got the better of us as well. But I, I, I kind of want to touch on your, is there other ways, other strategies we can do to ensure that we have financial success? And uh, there's something, uh, there was a book that I read and it's called uh, Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash. And what I can gather from his book, it's uh, it, it it's possible to like create wealth off of life insurance policies. I, I, I'm not sure, but could you potentially shed some light on that? And is it possible to create wealth using life insurance? Well, I'd love to know your thoughts on this. I'll turn the tables a little bit on you here, Josh. Um, what was that book like, reading that book? What was that like? It's actually funny you mentioned that because the first time that, so a mentor of mine actually gave it to me. He's, he let me borrow it and I was like, okay, cool. Like I'll read it. And the first time I read it, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't process anything. I was like, wait, what did I even just read? Cause it was just such a new idea to me that it was just like, wait, you're telling me that I'm pretty much borrowing against myself. And then I use that money to buy assets that produce more income. And then that pays off my, you know, the, the what I take out into my policy. So that's, that's kind of how I understand it. But I, I know you're an expert at this and I kind of want to hear the thoughts that you have regarding that. Well, that's a great book. And uh, it's one of the books that opened my mind as well, Josh. So we can talk about that for sure. There's another book for folks that are really into history. There's a book called Debt, The First 5,000 Years by David Graeber. What a book title. You know, what a book title, debt, the first 5,000 years, the first 5,000 years. To me, that says banks are as permanent a part of the human project as friendship, as 
uh, parenting. I mean, d- banks are are hard coded into the human psyche, or at least banking. I should be clear. I make a distinction between banks and banking. One is a noun, one is a verb. And that book, Becoming Your Own Banker, is the concept of taking away the function of banking from the corporations down the street and putting it back into your own life. To to reclaim that banking function is, in my opinion, as a certified financial planner, I believe that you holding the key to your own bank or the banking function, I should, you know, if you have the banking function in-house, then everything else in your financial life becomes easier. Why? Because banks control basically the environment in which all of your other money lives. And if they control the environment where your money lives, they win. Think about it. I've got a fish in my kitchen and I control the environment in which that fish lives. If I, unfortunately, I'm not very good at taking care of pets. My daughter, five-year-old daughter is way better than I am. And if I didn't add water and food and clean that tank and do all the things that, if I didn't keep it temperature controlled, if or if I was sinister and messed with that stuff, that would be a dead little fish before too long, right? And similarly, when your money is in someone else's environment, they win. They get to pull the strings. They get to say, you know what, Josh, you're going to work for me now. I'm going to be your master. You're going to be my slave. I'm going to say, you got to work three extra jobs just to cover your credit card bills or your student loan payments or all the mortgages you have. Uh, And on average, according to the U.S. Commerce Bureau, the average American spends about 36% of his or her income on debt. Now, what does that say? If time is money, if if, if money is life, What's 36% of your day? What's 36% of your entire life? If that's the average American, and that means some people are doing better than that, and good on you to those guys, but some people then, on the average, are doing worse. Yeah, that... that. So anyway, that's that's the concept of becoming your own banker. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point. I, I didn't know it was actually that high, and I, I kind of want to answer a little bit of your question where what does happen when 36% on average of your life is spent, you know, paying off debt. It's like, I I view it as you're going to pass it on to the next generation. And I mean, me being just graduating high school and just getting out, I'm like, that means I'm going to have to take on some of that debt. And I'm going to have to go out and pretty much fix the problems of this 36% that we're spending time debt so that eventually it's going to get to a point where someone's going to spend their whole life paying off a debt to someone and they're going to control right. everything. And I, I, I'm not a fan of that. So that's why I actually went and started this podcast. I started a business. I'm like, I want to take control of at least that aspect. And it's interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I kind of want to hear your thoughts on this. And how would someone uh, get started into this? How would you like suggest? Because I mean, obviously, entrepreneurs, they are very self-aware of their income. And so as a entrepreneur, I, you know, started my own business. I know kind of where my cash is coming in, my like the cash flow. And I, I'm pretty aware in like where I can put it. And I feel like a lot of those type of people are aware of where to put their money in into like a life insurance policy. But for the average worker, what are some financial vehicles? I mean, we have the life insurance policy as well, but where could they put their money into? And I mean, taxes are a big thing. That's how we're going to probably pay off our debt without getting taxed in the future. 
Sure. Well, okay. So to your question, guys, there's 450 financial vehicles that I could keep track of. I was counting as I was doing my CFP training, 450 places you can put money. And then, and then you can, of course, that'd be like real estate or annuity or savings account or hedge fund. I mean, do we even have a framework for understanding where we want to put our money? And then you can mix them together. Like you can put stocks and real estate together and you get something called a real estate investment trust. Um, and that multiplies your options into basically infinity, right? Um, you know, millions of different places you can park your money. So I like to start without putting labels on the money. I like to start with function. Let's go to what do you want your money to actually do for you? Because where you put your money makes it do different things, right? A, a 401k is going to make your money act a certain way and real estate or savings account, it's going to act a certain different way. So if you put a bunch of money into a 401k, it will be tax deferred. What does the word deferred mean? It just means wait until later. Well, if you think taxes are going to go up in the future, then you're shooting yourself in the foot when you put money into a 401k, right? Um, I mean, it's sort of like putting off a root canal. I don't want to defer a root canal. <laughs> it just makes the problem worse. So uh, a savings account, uh, real estate, uh, life insurance, there are all these different places you can put money. Most people, when I, when I first heard about cash value life insurance, that was sort of like a brand new concept. It was sort of like saying, hey, I could build wealth with my auto, auto insurance policy. You know, it just didn't make sense to me. Um, how can you build wealth with a... A, an auto insurance policy. It doesn't make any sense, right? Health insurance policy, whatever. So as I dug into this book that you mentioned uh, by Nelson Nash, uh, it, it was like a light bulb moment. Okay. So very quickly, when you put money into life insurance, you have two options, really. You've got the kind of life insurance where you rent it for a while. That's called term insurance. And that's sort of money that you just borrow the death benefit for a year or 10 years, 20 years, or you can get something called cash value life insurance where that is more like owning a house, okay? So when you rent a policy, the landlord can raise the rent on you and that's you getting older, so you cost more money to the insurance company. And when you rent uh, an insurance policy, there's no wealth buildup, kind of like when you rent an apartment. Now on the cash value whole life insurance policies are cash value policies. And it's sort of like owning a home. You know, you pay for a certain premium. That's how you get money into the policy. And that builds up this liquid, accessible ma uh, money that's yours. So that's good stuff, right? I like access to money, especially if I'm running a business, Josh. So if I need money, where am I going to go get it? Well, I can get savings accounts. That's kind of liquid. Doesn't really earn much in the way of return, but it's at least liquid. My 401k, I can't get money out of that without paying taxes and penalties. My real estate, I can't really get money out of that without selling the property or begging a banker for a line of credit. Uh, annuities, those have, you know, surrender charges usually. Um, so there's not a lot of liquid places you can get money. So this policy does four things really well. And then um, I'll kind of hush and get your feedback. Uh, and I kind of have it simplified down to TGIF, okay? The acronym TGIF. I grew up in the 90s. And there was this kind of show on Friday nights. It was, thank God it's Friday, TGIF. But uh, Whole Life Insurance has TGIF too. Uh, and that is um, tax-free. Okay, these policies are accessible for any purpose with no taxes due. I like that. It's more like a Roth IRA. 
meaning it's tax-free in the future. That's awesome if we think taxes are going, are going up. Um, it's, it's also guaranteed to grow for you. G is guaranteed, so it grows on a guaranteed basis. Unlike my um, phone calls that I got to overhear in the midst of 2008 and 9 and 10, you'll never have a year where the cash value is less than it was the year before. It's always growing on a guaranteed basis outside of the markets and, and mayhem. That's pretty cool, again, for building a real plan. Uh, third, this is life insurance. So you'll always leave your family more than you'll ever save for them because it is life insurance, again. And then finally, uh, F stands for financing. So um, I'll make a claim here, and then we'll wrap up this little spiel here. Your need for financing is way more than your need for life insurance. Why do I say that? And this is straight out of Nelson Nash's book, actually. Your need for financing is way more than your need for life insurance. Folks are like, hey, uh, you know, Mark, I, I, got, I got no kids, or hey, my kids are out of the house and they're grown. I don't need a lot of life insurance. I agree. We don't want you to have a lot of life insurance. I want you to sleep well at night, not have to sleep with one eye open, wondering if your spouse is going to knock you out, right? Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> let's talk about financing. What's your need for financing? Josh, how many cars do you think you'll buy? How many vacations do you think you'll go on? How many houses do you think you'll buy over your lifetime? Well, that number, I mean, just off the bat, top of my head is I have no idea because I have no idea where life's going to take me. I mean, if I was just to <laughs> brush the tip of the surface, I would say vacations, I would love to go as on many as possible. For cars, I would love to have the yeah, best man. cars. If houses, I mean, I kind of want to move around and you know, see the world and live in different areas. But yeah, that that's kind of where I would want to be in my life. So <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you all the way. Yeah, we're all going to buy stuff in life. You know, the average person buys about 10 cars between their spouse and themselves. Uh, they go on roughly 20 to 25 vacations. Um, maybe you'll be doing more than that, maybe less. Uh, if you got kids someday, you might send them to college. You might buy a couple of houses. You know, usually it's four to six houses over your entire lifetime, plus real estate if you add rental properties to that. So we all got millions of dollars of stuff to buy in our lifetime, right? Now, how do we buy that stuff? Well, we can either use a banker. We've talked about the problems of banking, letting them control our, our fishbowl. Yeah. Right? Or we can do the, the Dave Ramsey plan and pay and save, 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 save in a savings account. Save up and and then what? What do we do? We we withdraw that money out of our savings account and pay cash for the car or the vacation or the house or whatever. Now, Josh, just kind of walk through this with me for a minute. What what is the? Let's say that you found a wonderful savings account paying us a generous one percent interest or something. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> so let's say that you then so you're earning one percent on thirty forty grand or something like that for a car. And then what do you do? You withdraw that money and you pay cash for the car. How much interest are you now earning on the $0 in your savings account? Not that much, if anything. <laughs> zero. Yeah. Zero, right? Yeah. Once you've withdrawn that money, there's nothing to earn, right? It's just nothing. Nothing's in there. So you broke compound growth when you pay cash for cars or vacations or houses or anything. You you not only did you did you pay for a $40,000 depreciating asset your car but you also lost whatever that car might or that 40 grand might have grown to over your lifetime had you not bought the car just ridden shotgun and let that money stay invested right 
So the truth is we finance everything we buy. Either we pay interest to a banker or we pay cash and we pass up all the wealth we would have earned on that money. I was just talking to somebody earlier today and they have $140,000 uh, in savings, different savings buckets. And they were going to go buy, you know, something kind of silly. It was, you know, flying car, one of these flying cars that are coming out, uh, which is cool. I, I like that. But what would a 140 grand earning 4% over your lifetime grow to at your age? I don't know your exact age, um, but I did the math here. Let's just say you're, I'll just say you're 20. I don't know. Um, over your lifetime, that'd grow to 1.8 million bucks. That's just, that's just a stinking 140 grand, right? So anyway, the power of compounding yeah. <laughs> growth over your lifetime is undeniable. But the problem is we all have to buy stuff. So how do we buy stuff? Okay, and I'm finally wrapping up my long spiel. When I use these policies for financing like a bank, I can borrow against the life insurance and pay cash for that flying car or whatever else I want to buy. And the policy will continue to earn interest as if I hadn't touched the money, even on the capital I borrowed. So if I've got 140,000 bucks in my bank on yourself designed whole life policy, I borrow against that and go buy the real estate or the business investment or whatever I want to do. I get the asset, the real estate or the flying car, and I get the earnings in the policy as if I hadn't touched a dime of the money. That to me beats paying cash. I, I like that you touch on that because I I have this friend. He's uh, going to be, he's went to school and he's going to be an accountant. And I love talking with him just like, hey, what are you learning? Uh, tell me, like, teach me type of things because... I mean, I, I don't want to be an accountant, but I want to learn what you guys think the way you think, because hopefully I have one of you guys working for me one day. Smart man. And, yeah. but he, uh, he was telling me, he's just like, yeah, uh, I'm going to pay cash for everything. I'm going to, I'm like, well, why would you do that? Cause I mean, I mean, that sounds great. I mean, yes, you have to remain disciplined and, you know, save up that money. But I'm like, I kind of want things now. Like I'm impatient. Like is there a way you think to do that now? And he's like, Oh no, not really. And then as I was, I mean, this was a year back, two years, I finally meet a mentor of mine and he was talking to me and he's just, and that's when he introduced me to the book and all these things. I'm like, Oh, there is a way, like there is a way for me to have things now if I'm willing to put in the work and build up that uh, policy. And mm -hmm. I'm just like, if I put in the work to do that, then I can have things I want now. And I, I like the idea of having that. And I think, I mean, there is this American stereotype. Uh, I, I guess I'll, I'll turn gears here, but I read a book. I mean, I'm sure it's, it's world famous. It's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And uh, he does an interview, uh, Robert Kiyosaki with Donald Trump. And uh, I remember in the interview where he was, he was talking about how there's good debt and bad debt. So do you think you could... Uh, kind of separate the difference between uh, good debt and bad debt for my audience here? Yeah, I, I like the Kiyosaki distinction there. Whereas bad debt is money, is, uh, is, is debt that takes money out of your pocket. Good debt can conceivably and usually does put money into your pocket. Uh, and that's anathema to a lot of people. It's sort of weird to think, well, how can debt put money into your pocket? Well, the best way I can describe this is you know, a mortgage on a rental property is good debt if it puts money into your pocket. You might pay 
a thousand bucks a month for that mortgage payment, but the renter might pay you thirteen hundred bucks a month to live there. So that's still putting money into your pocket. Now we call that arbitrage. And uh, that's is that kind of what you're getting at there? Yeah, that's yeah, that's what I'm getting at there. I I like that you mentioned that because I think I I <laughs> there's a lot of kids right now because I I'm at the stage in life where a lot of people are making decisions financially. Like there's some people that are taking on incredible amounts of debt. Like I'm amazed if bank would even let them take that money. But and then I go in and I'm like, hey, do you think? you could do this. Cause I, I, I'm trying to build up credit. Right. And I'm like, cause I need to have some lines of credit if I want to get into real estate and get some of those assets that produce uh, essentially passive income. But I, I don't know what, what advice would you give for someone that's just starting out and wants to get passive income, I guess, for them to, so then they can buy those assets and pay those policy loans. Well, I'd like to know, and this is something you can totally say no thank you, Mark. This is your interview, of course. But why did you not go to the traditional path is to go to college after high school, but you chose to start a business or to pursue business ownership? What was important about that for you? Well, I like the freedom of choice. I like to make sure that I make the choices in my life. I want a sense of control that I know where my money is, and I want to live a life that's on my terms and from what I can gather, just looking at the world, I'm just like, well, the people that have, you know, the things of life that I would like to have, it's, they started a business most of the time, or they got into real estate, uh, stocks, or something like that. And I'm like, if I could get into that, then I think one, one of those three things I'm like, then I could be financially free and live life on my terms. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't hear you say, college is a requirement to get any of that. Is that correct? Yeah. No, you don't need college to do that. Yeah. That that's not a, they don't look at you right before they're about to hand you that giant six figure or seven figure lump sum for your IPO or whatever. And they're not going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You didn't get a college degree. We can't give you this, you know, $10 million. They don't, they don't ever do that. And, and most people, we, we all go through this kind of rat race, um, to use another Kiyosaki phrase there from his cash flow board game, uh, where we think college is just the default. I just got off the phone with someone who um, was, a, she's a vet, you know, an animal vet. And thankfully she didn't have this problem, but, you know, cause she went to school some time ago, but she's saying now current veter veterinarian graduates have student loans exceeding $400,000. Oh man. <laughs> and her income is good, but we're not talking like doctor level income. You know, that's maybe 110 grand, 130 grand, something that's still good. But, you know, could you really feel good about taking out 400 plus thousand to make a hundred grand a year? Um, I don't feel good about that personally. And where, where is it that is, where is it written that we have to go to college to have a successful life? I mean, you're another case in point of someone not thinking average. Uh, some people call me the not your average financial planner. Um, this is because average is not working. If average means paying 36% of our income to our banks while you know hoping and praying that our stock market portfolio will go up, that doesn't sound like sanity. That sounds like insanity. Yeah, I, I like that you mentioned that. And I, I kind of want to touch on this because I think we're going to look at 
wrapping up here on our little meeting here. But what you mentioned the stock market at the end, and uh, I, 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 that's something that I like looking at, and it just, it's just something that interests me. It's something that I enjoy looking into, and I actually own a couple myself, like some shares and some companies. But what, mm-hmm. <laughs> what is my concern right now, and I, I kind of want to hear your thoughts on this. Is you mentioned volatility, and I'm like, I feel like the market, especially after COVID, that's all it's doing. Like everything is like, it's just a matter of time before it just all just comes crumbling down type of thing. A little powder, powder keg, dry, dry powder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of want to hear what, what do you, what would you be your suggestion for people that are entering the stock market? Cause there is a lot of people and I'm one that actually is kind of a history geek. I like looking at history and seeing, I can learn a lot from that. And some of the similarities that I've seen in human behavior, at least was that in 1929 or whatever, a lot of people were entering the market that were not, I guess, financially prepared to enter the market. They're just doing it just cause. And that's kind of what we're seeing now. I feel like is a lot of people, I mean, we hear the GameStop, like the meme and then the AMC memes. And I'm like, are these people, these people are throwing their life savings into it. I'm like, first of all, that's concerning. But two, it's like, do you see the similarities of then and today? Well, yes. So the, I think there's always a, a place for speculation and even gambling. There's nothing wrong with throwing money into the wind and seeing what happens. If it's money you can afford to lose. If it's money you cannot afford to lose, yeah, please find something that's really guaranteed. These policies are a great place to put money you cannot afford to lose. And what's neat is... Um, you can borrow against these life insurance policies to go invest. So if you're getting four, five, six percent, whatever, something nice and steady and boring and consistent in the policy, and you borrow against that to go invest and get 30% on Bitcoin or lose 30% on Bitcoin, regardless what happens to the investment, your policy is still earning on the same amount as if you hadn't touched that money. So at least you've covered your bases there and didn't break compound growth. Um, Now, to answer your question, I feel like, yeah, most people don't realize that um, when you lose money, it's it's irreversible. Some people think that if you, let's say that you're up 10% in one year and you're down 10% in the second year, everyone thinks that they're even. But the problem is, you know, let's say you started with 100 bucks invested, you earn 10%, that's up 110. And then the next year you lose 10%. What is that? that? You're down to $99. You know, you're not even when you go up 10 and down 10. In other words, uh, the bad years hurt more than the good years help you. And that's that's true when it comes to investing. And most people don't realize that not only do you lose the money that you, you know, see vaporized in your stock account, but then you have to try to earn back more just to break even. Uh, so, you know, you could go up 60% in the first year and down 50% in the second year. Well, that's a 5% average rate of return, but you actually could lose money. You know, again, if you started with a hundred bucks, you would go up to 160 and then lose 50%. You go from 160 down to 80 bucks. Well, you have a 5% average rate of return. Josh, aren't you happy? You went from a hundred bucks to 80 bucks with a 5% average rate of return. Aren't you happy? Well, the problem is returns and volatility are really correlated there. Like um, the best way I can describe this is let's say that you're leaving, 
you're leaving your friend's house and you've got to like go home. But before you go home, you got to go to the grocery store and then you got to cross town and go to pick up some, uh, some dinner for the evening. And then you got to go back across town and get your dry cleaning. That, that, that chasing back and forth, up and down, up and down, that all costs energy and fuel, right? And the same is true with your stock market portfolio. It doesn't just go in a straight line. So when you go up and down and up and down, like the market does, even a little bit, it can cost you real money and life. You know, again, if money is, you know, representation of your life energy, then that's truly life getting sucked right out of you. And who's the one that gets the guarantee? Well, it's the one who's covering your assets under management fee and he's he or she, your investment advisor is getting paid, whether your markets are going up or down or sideways. Yeah, I I thank you for that. I think you've been giving some you've been giving some really good advice. I feel like a lot of my listeners can benefit from this and especially where some of the people that listen to this are a younger audience. I have generally speaking a pretty young audience and a lot of them, I think they could benefit from this because they need to know that a lot of things exist out there that it's not just the straight, like we were talking about earlier. It's not the straight college path. You can enter the stock market. If you so please, you can enter a uh, real estate. If that is what you desire, if, and there's so many options out there. It's not the set in stone that you have to. So, I mean, as we're kind of wrapping up here towards the end, I kind of want to get your final thoughts. And that is, if you could give just one piece of advice uh, to anyone in the world, what would it be? Anyone in the world? Well, guys, I'd say we're given a precious gift. So two things, relish that gift and share it easy. I'd like that on my tombstone, actually. Relish the gift and share it. I love that. That is, I I actually really, I really love the, I, I really love that you say that. That actually, that hits me pretty well. I like, I like that you say that. So uh, just kind of final uh, thing here. If anyone wants to reach out to you or, you know, get a hold of you, what is a way that, you know, they can look you up and uh, get a hold of you? Uh you know, we talk about this life insurance piece and you're right. It's not an either or, it's a both and. You know, you can use the policy and invest in real estate and go to your business and go to Disney World or whatever you need to do for fun. So I would say, you know, if you want to reach out to me, uh, we call it a bank on yourself designed policy. And so that's B-O-Y, bank on yourself. And if you want to learn more about this, you can go to bit.ly slash learn b-o-y that's bit.ly slash learn b-o-y and i'd love to chat we can answer your questions in 10 or 15 minutes see what other questions might come up in your financial discussions with us okay sweet for the thank you for that so uh thank you for coming on to this uh show it it's been a pleasure you've had great things to say and i have definitely learned a tremendous amount from you so again thank you for coming on uh, it's just been an absolute blast to uh, hear from you. So uh, everyone, as you can tell, that is Mark Willis. He is a very intelligent person, has great things to say, and just listen. As you listen to him, you probably have seen that he has intelligent things to say. So be sure to go check him out. He uh, referenced to how you can get a hold of him. Stay tuned uh, to next week's episode. We have a great guest lined up for that as well. And thank you guys for the support that you give. It's been a tremendous help. 
And thank you again. Let's get after it. Hey everyone, if you liked this episode and would like to hear more, be sure to hit that subscribe or follow button. We release a new episode every Wednesday for you guys to listen to. Thank you guys so much for the support that you give. We cannot have done this without you guys. If you would like to be a potential guest on the show, check out intelligentconvos.com and there should be a form there for you guys to fill out. Thank you guys again and let's get after it.